0: You're listening to Hey Bitches Podcast, episode 84. Hey, bitches. What is up, you guys? It's your girl, Carly. Welcome back to Hey Bitches Podcast. Hope you guys are having an in- Incredible day. Today I sat down with one of my best friends and also my manager, Kaylee, to chit-chat, you know, how can brands work with influencers? We recently just did an episode, it's episode 83, about how influencers can work with brands. However, I think it's also very valuable to chit-chat about the other side, especially too, because I feel like this podcast is a really good healthy mix of influencers or people who just work regular nine to fives or people who are business owners or other types of creatives or anything like that. I feel like y'all are here. So I thought it would be a really interesting conversation to like chit chat from the opposite perspective as the last episode. So not only, you know, as a business owner, you can get the insight, but also as an influencer, you can understand kind of what it takes to get you those campaigns. And then as an outsider, you kind of understand the environment or like the world of influencer marketing a little bit better than you did before. Before we jump in, I just want to say if you guys are listening on Apple Podcasts, please, please, please just take a quick second, a quick little minute to leave a five-star rating and a review. It really helps me out. We're trying to break some, you know, records for Hey Bitches for the end of 2020. So if you guys would be so inclined, that would be fantastic. I would really appreciate it. But without further ado... Let's get into the episode. You guys, I'm very excited to sit down and record this episode today. Today is part two of this influencer brand type of series. And we are sitting down with Kaylee here today. Kaylee is one of my best friends, and she also is my manager and also is an incredible, very smart businesswoman. And I'm very excited to have her on the podcast. So why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself?
1: Oh, thanks so much. You're um welcome. Yeah. So I've been working in, I guess, the digital slash social media space for seven years now. Uh, And I started by working on the brand side. So I worked with a clothing startup, which I co-founded For about three years, and that was really where I started building grassroots ambassador programs and working with influencers. And again, this was like five years ago, so the whole space was completely different. And I didn't even really know that it was influencer marketing at the time, what we were doing. Um, But that's kind of where my experience started was on the brand side and building these programs and learning that actually influencers and micro-influencers can have a huge impact on brands ROI and can actually drive sales for brands as well as awareness and things like Instagram followers. Like, There's so many different KPIs that influencers can really successfully produce for brands in partnerships. And so I learned all of that from being on the brand side when I first started in this industry. Once I left that company, which was a few years ago now, I started freelancing and I didn't really know what my next steps were going to be, but I started getting approached from other brands who had seen the work that I had done with my previous startup, the work that I had done creating these ambassador programs and working with micro-influencers, And they basically approached me and asked me to replicate those same programs for their brands. And this was mostly e-commerce brands uh, in beauty, in skincare, in fashion, mostly product-based brands. I started freelancing in that space, recreating these programs, and we would now call these micro-influencer campaigns, mostly gifting campaigns. Again, this was a few years ago, so a lot has changed since then, but that's kind of where more of my experience started coming in. And when I really immersed myself in the influencer industry, I learned just how vast this world is because it's growing so quickly and there's so many content creators and so many startup brands that want to be working in this space um, and building these relationships and collaborations. I realized that there was a lot of misinformation and miseducation and just like lack of knowledge in what performs well, how to build relationships best because the industry is changing so quickly and people can blow up overnight on TikTok and there's all these different platforms and most brands just can't keep up with it all. So I really dove headfirst into understanding the industry on all sides, both as a You know, from the brand side, um, from a content creator perspective and a micro-influencer myself, and then um, from a talent agency and like manager perspective. So about a little over a year ago, I launched uh, my talent agency where we now not only run brand campaigns and build those relationships for brand clients, but also have a roster um, of influencers that we manage both exclusively and non-exclusively. And uh, basically, come in and help educate influencers, take over kind of that business side, help negotiate contracts, um, and help them like really understand the business piece to what they're doing. So, basically, all of that to say that I've had my hand in many parts of the industry from many different perspectives. And that's kind of how I've gotten to the place where I am now. And that leads us to this conversation. I love that. I love Kaylee.
0: Like the one thing I love about interviewing Kaylee all of the time is that I could be like, "Kaylee, introduce yourself," or "Kaylee, tell us about this thing," and she always has such a good answer. Like that was (laughs) the most beautiful. Tell us about yourself. Like I have ever just podcasting things. (laughs) Just (laughs) podcast things. Like Kaylee. Yeah, also runs a podcast. It's crazy because we've been friends for coming up on two years now. And I feel like we literally do all the things, like all of the things.
1: And also, it feels like I've known you way longer. I know. That's also like freaking
0: crazy. It's literally crazy that we've only been friends for not even a full two years. (laughs) But. As you guys probably have heard, the reason I brought Kaylee on this podcast is she is so knowledgeable in literally all of the topics that we are going to talk about today. And I really wanted to do an opposite perspective to the most recent episode in this like little series where we talked about how to work with brands as an influencer. So, you know, pitching and when to get an agent and XYZ. But I know a lot of you guys are also business owners. You guys just aren't influencers. And it is a little bit different, I think, on the brand side than it is on the influencer side, even though I think the bare bones are kind of similar. There's just a lot of other things that you have to consider as a brand, and I wanted to talk about it today. So for me, I kind of wanted to break it down, Kaylee, into you know what a gifted partnership looks like, what a paid partnership looks like, how brands even find influencers to work with and then kind of all your your other little tips and tricks. I think my questions will come to me as we <laughs> continue to chit chat about it, totally. but let's start with how brands can find influencers when they're starting to think about wanting to you know execute campaigns and work with influencers and not just rely on their e-commerce marketing or their like traditional streams of marketing like you know a Facebook ad or an Instagram story ad or something like that they want to start working with influencers.
1: Mhm. Yeah, so I mean there's a ton of great tools out there and platforms that are built to connect brands and influencers, but the downside to a lot of these platforms is they're really expensive. So IP people (laughs) now. Yeah. So for small business owners and, you know, smaller brands that likely don't want to spend five to $10,000 on just a platform that they can, you know, search for influencers. Um, if you're like just starting out and getting into the space, the best way to find people are on Instagram and through your own network. There's uh, specific processes that you can use on Instagram to find the right people in your niche, in your location, and for whatever type of content you're looking for, for your business. So let's say I'm a uh, potter. I'm making pottery. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And let's say that with my pottery, I want to uh, work with a couple of micro influencers that maybe have around 10,000 followers in Alberta who have like really neutral aesthetic and who are going to be willing to post about my pottery for free in exchange for products. There's probably a really specific aesthetic I'm looking for. And sometimes I think that's the hardest thing to find. But the first place I would go is within your followers and following on Instagram. So with your own brand, you've probably, Built some sort of community already, um, unless you're like just, just, just launching. And even then, you can look to your own personal network and personal account follower and following. But these are really great places to start to see which people already follow you. Like, do is there any micro influencers or content creators that are already following your brand or that you are already following? Because if you're already following each other, that is a warm introduction versus a cold pitch to an influencer who doesn't know who you are. And similar to, I'm sure, what you talked about in your other episode is um, warm introductions and you know, pitching people who you've already interacted with or liked their stuff on Instagram or follow, it's going to be much easier than pitching somebody who you've never interacted with on socials before. So that's a really great place to start initially. Then things like, like I said, if I'm you know selling pottery in Alberta and I have stores in Calgary maybe that are carrying my product... I want to focus on local influencers. And so really simple things like searching hashtags can help you find the right people. Um, so for example, if I'm looking for influencers in Calgary, one of the main hashtags would be hashtag YYC blogger. And so a lot of influencers use this hashtag like for basically all of their content to show that they're an influencer in Calgary that is willing and open to collaborating with a brand um, and that they're you know specifically in Calgary versus is just searching something like interior blogger, which that could be anywhere in the world. So getting really specific to your location or to whatever type of influencer you're looking for and kind of using hashtags as like keywords in search on Instagram. The other tip would be to look at location tags. So if you're in Calgary, um, maybe looking up like, let's say, for example, again, using the pottery example, I might look up influencers who have been recently at El Forno Cafe in Calgary because it's a really cute aesthetic cafe and influencers that go there might be the same type of aesthetic as I want for my brand. And so what the location tag is going to do, very similar to a hashtag, is it's going to show you the most engaged posts and like the most relevant posts at the top and the least engaged at the bottom. And so the most engaged posts are going to be the influencers most likely or people who have some sort of influence in their circle. And that's going to give you a quick idea of like what type of people are available near you that you could partner up with. Another quick tip is to look at your competitors or look at brands in a similar niche or location or market and see which influencers have tagged their products or which influencers these brands have tagged in their photo shoots or in their collaborations and approach those influencers. um, because that's going to give you an idea of these are the people that are already engaging with similar brands or have an aesthetic or are open to collaboration or maybe are good people to work with if another brand has worked with them before. So there's a ton of little tricks like that that basically just take time. And it really is just research and, um, you know, making lists and checking engagement and that sort of thing. But in terms of finding people, like those are really easy places to just start in order to find the right influencers for your brand.
0: I love that because literally (laughs) I was about to be, I was about to chime in and be like, poach your competition's (laughs) influencers. (laughs) Even though that sounds like, you know, not the best, the influencers are doing it. Like we're all working for different skincare companies. We might like all the skincare companies. But totally. Unless we have exclusive contracts,
1: then we're working with everybody else. So you can work with everybody else too. Totally. And it's not, and like, obviously direct competition, but even like similar or aligned brands. Like if I'm Mm -hmm. a potter, maybe like a coffee brand, like who is posting about coffee because they're probably drinking that coffee out of a mug. And maybe I'm making like really cute pottery mugs that I'm selling, you know, like being creative in how you find people and the way that you would place your product in. Their feed. I think that's another thing is like instead of reaching out to influencers and asking them to create very specific content that you want reach out to people who are already creating the content that you could envision your product in. And it's going to make these relationships so much more seamless, especially if you're not paying people. Um, Because if they're already posting, you know, every morning that they're drinking a chai latte, well, now they can really naturally integrate that mug into those Instagram stories and tag you um, because that's something that they post about every day anyways. So from a brand perspective, really being mindful of the type of content these influencers are posting, building those relationships and getting to know influencers the same way that you would expect them to get to know you and your brand. I love that. Something else I wanted to say too is that you don't
0: always have to immediately pitch an influencer when you follow them or find them. You can literally do the same thing that we would do with a brand where it's just like engage with them for a little bit reply to their stories like their posts like it it doesn't always have to be a 100% transactional relationship where you're like okay I found my influencer and now I'm going to pitch them obviously if you have like a, a timeline or a deadline or anything like that you can do that too but I know there's so many brands who I've worked with on you know way lesser than normal rates or on gifted campaigns where I'm like I just really believe in the company and I like the person who's behind it and I did I like that because they took their time to interact with me instead of being like, hey, I want you to promote this thing. That's it. <laughs> so I also wanted totally. to throw that in there because I think a lot of the time when you're a brand, especially when you're a small startup, and Kaylee, I think you can relate to this too. When you're a small startup, it's you literally you gotta sell, otherwise you're going under. And you know, it sucks sometimes where you have to be like, I need to focus on making the sales and all of this to like keep your little startup alive. This is literally me right now with with my startup. A lot of the time though what I have to do is just create friendships and relationships. And I know it's hard, especially too when you are focused on not, you know, defaulting on your loan or <laughs> anything like that. But building relationships and friendships with the influencers that you plan on working with are it's so, so, so imperative.
1: Totally. Yeah. And I think like when brands think of influencer marketing or when people think of influencer marketing, you know, there's the two tiers, there's unpaid gifted campaigns and relationships, and then there's paid and they can really like work simultaneously with each other. Um, obviously if you have a budget to pay influencers, In a way, it's going to make your life a lot easier because uh, you don't need to be asking people to do things for free and like pitching people as much if you have a budget to pay them, because then you can, you know, command their attention and command their energy and their creativity because you can compensate them. Um, Versus the gifting side specifically is where you really need to focus on building those relationships. And it's not that that's not important with paid, but it's just more important with gifted and small business. Because if you can't afford to pay people, like how else do you make it mutually beneficial? And I think a big piece of that mutual of making it mutually beneficial is with that relationship and have something ongoing and really value like, like have everybody value each other's time. Like we're all hustling. We're all, you know, if you're a small business owner, like content creators and influencers are also small business owners. And so when there's respect that comes to these relationships and to these collaborations, I think it just builds a really solid foundation for future partnerships and, you know, building something long-term, which in the end is going to be better for your brand anyways. I love that. And I completely agree. And so what I want to do now is kind of transition into what you kind of
0: just talked about was gifted campaigns and partnerships. This is something that you and I both have a lot of familiarity with and I want to get your opinion on this because like you said in your intro, you were basically doing influencer marketing before I guess everybody and their mom knew what (laughs) influencer marketing was. So I would love to know from then what you were doing to get these influencers to wear your clothes and shoot photos and all of this. And also from your experience now working with influencers like me and all the other people who are on the roster for the agency in their gifted partnerships. And then also talk about on the brand side, you know, how do you approach with a gifted partnership, best practices, that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. So I'll say like a lot has changed in the past five to seven years because Mm -hmm. when I look back at how we first started building these ambassador and influencer programs, five to seven years ago, it was incredibly easy in the sense that we could literally put something out on our Instagram page or on our website and say, hey, we're looking for content creators or influencers. And people would apply to basically get stuff gifted to them. Like It wasn't even a paid program. People were just so eager for experience and eager to work with brands. And Um, Micro-influencers were a little bit less common as well. So the space was less saturated versus now, I think the industry has evolved so much that Brands and influencers are starting to recognize that there's a lot of value in micro influencer marketing, and that actually just doing gifted things is, for the most part, not worth people's time on the creative side. Um, and also, just like I think, harder to get people to say yes to because there's so much more budget from bigger brands and more brands that are spending money on influencer marketing. And so when you divide between gifting and paid, it's typically like the new up and coming influencers that are doing gifting campaigns and not always like the top tier quality. Um, Not to say that micro influencers don't produce really great quality, but generally micro influencers who are producing really great quality and have a super engaged community are at the point where they can now charge brands. Um, And so it's harder to gift and to run gifting campaigns because you're generally ending up with quote unquote influencers who maybe don't actually have that much influence or maybe aren't great to work with and they're not getting a ton of brand deals. And so that's why they're happy to accept something gifted. And so from a brand perspective, you have to be, I would say, more picky now than you did maybe five years ago uh, because there is so many more influencers to choose from, and so many more content creators, and really like diving deep into engagement and analytics and the type of content and you know, all of these pieces to see is it really actually worth us to gift them something or is it just you know a drop in a bucket like it's not going to do anything gifted campaigns are most successful when you're working with a large amount of influencers i mean like generally like minimum 20 to 50 influencers micro influencers for you to see like any sort of impact on a gifted campaign and gifting campaigns generally are going to like create a lot of content, but not necessarily the reach that you might want to see, because you are again working with micro influencers. Versus when you're able to pay, you can get both the content and the reach that you desire, because you're able to afford larger influencers or you know more talented or skilled or more creative people. When we look at gifting campaigns for, I guess like from a talent side, like for you, Carly. Um, My role in that is basically to be a bit of a reality check of like, okay, like, do you actually have time to do this if it's not paid? Is it worth your time and energy if it's not paid? Do you want to post an ad for something that's not paid when you're already posting all these other ads? But then ultimately leaving it up to the influencer to decide whether or not they want that because If it's gifted, like obviously the talent agency is not taking any percentage from that. We don't make any money from that. And the influencer is not making any money from it. So what I would say is like influencers typically are being more picky now with what they are taking on gifted. And it has to be something that really aligns with their brand is super like a value to them Or that the guidelines are very lax in that they can post however they want to. And it's treated more as like traditional PR versus a quote-unquote influencer campaign. Um, But we try to leave that up to like individual influencers to choose if they want to do that. Because for example... If it's a gifted laptop case campaign, a laptop case is not that expensive. It's not super high value, but let's say there's a micro influencer with 5,000 followers who actually happens to need a new laptop case this month and they were gonna buy one anyways, and now they just need to tag it on Stories for a free laptop case. We'll see, that's a perfect fit. They're probably gonna say yes to that gifted because it aligns, it makes sense with the timing, they need it, they were gonna buy it anyways. Versus, you know, all these other gifting requests that we that we receive that you receive, Carly, um, it really is like a timing and personal thing. And so, from a brand perspective, you really have to think about how can I create enough value with what I'm gifting influencers that they're going to be excited to post about it? Or how do I make sure that I'm reaching out to people that this super aligns with, that I know that they're going to be happy just to receive something gifted. They don't need it paid. There's a ton of things and questions that go into it, but that's kind of like the basic answer, I guess.
0: Yeah, I and I completely agree. And I love everything that you just said, especially because, I mean, like you said, especially going into holidays, like <laughs> I am slammed. Me and Kaylee have like weekly meetings every second week. And this week we were like, what is happening? Our brain is like <laughs> melting out of our ears. So right now, for me personally, right now is not a good time for me to accept gifted campaigns. I have so many other campaigns that currently take priority. And so I think that's also something too that... Small businesses need to think about mm-hmm. as much as it sucks, and you want to like get your product to sell like during big, big times like this, like Black Friday, um, holidays, you know, Christmas in July, those kinds of things. You also have to remember that this is the one of the busiest times for all of us for mm-hmm. e-commerce, for traditional brands, for influencers, for regular people with regular jobs. Like this is. One of the busiest times for all of us. And so, like Kaylee and I talked about earlier, too, the better relationships that you build, the more likely you're you'll able you'll be able to get a yes from an influencer during one of their super, super, super busy times on a gifted campaign alone. So I would definitely say that getting your foot in the door months before you even want to work with them is probably one of the best things that you can do if you want to work with an influencer, a specific influencer that you just like love and adore and you think is a great fit for your brand. This happened with a company that I work with now. They were like Carly, like we love your content, we love you. We did it. The owner and I would talk on DMs. All of this. This is actually um, the Izzy, which is the sex toy brand that sponsors the podcast. <laughs> um, we would talk all the time, and then eventually she was like, "You know what? I would love to have you know you represent the brand and all of this." And I was like, "Totally." And so now I'm very fortunate. We have a great like creator brand relationship. We just started by just being friends, and then me really believing in the brand. And then there's situations like that where you take like a lower thing than your traditional rate that you would charge like a multi-million dollar company who has like a five hundred thousand dollar budget to pay fifty influencers <laughs> type of thing, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you just go from there. Like it's really it's I would say working with influencers when you don't have a budget like on a gifted situation, the biggest thing is relationship building.
1: Hmm. Yeah. And I think you brought up some great points too. Like one being, if you are gifting influencers, you kind of have to be cognizant of the fact that paid partnerships are likely going to take priority for influencers, just as, uh, you know, your paying job is likely going to take priority over something that your friend, you know, maybe asks you to volunteer as a favor for something else. Like if you're getting paid by somebody else to do something, it likely takes priority in your life, especially when you got to pay bills, you know? And so um, that's something to keep in mind. And also to keep in mind that like the higher the budget generally the more creative energy and time and effort an influencer is going to put into something. And so even if you're acknowledging like, Hey, I can't afford to pay your full rates, but I can afford to pay you maybe like a hundred dollars, um, for stories. And I want to gift you all this product and blah, blah, blah. And if you really like convey that respect and that value and like acknowledge, you know, that they are, Worthy and valuable in some way to your brand, that's going to help build those relationships, I think, and kind of bring that symbiosis. Um, The other thing that you brought up that made me think of something else oh, product value. I think one thing that a lot of startups and small business owners focus on is marketing product versus like the quality of product. And so if you are somebody that's like, Creating products or curating a line of products. Like, if you focus on the quality of your product and making your product the most amazing version within your niche or within your industry, it's going to speak for itself and it creates like a cult following. And it gets to a point where influencers are going, are going to be so happy to do gifted things because they love the product so much. So, I'm just thinking of brands like Majuri who do very few. Paid campaigns, but they have a massive micro influencer network where they literally just gift jewelry. Um, but because the quality and the style of their jewelry is so top notch, there are hundreds and probably thousands of content creators that are so willing to do things for free for this brand because the quality and because the products are so coveted. And so if you really think about your product being the first thing, that that can make it speak for itself and like the quality of your product is its best marketing, you can get away with doing more gifted and doing more PR and that sort of thing because people are going to be excited to talk about it if they genuinely love whatever it is you're selling.
0: And I absolutely completely agree. There are so many instances where I'm like, okay, perfect. This is something that I love, that I've seen other people love, that I have been following for a while. I'm very excited to like... That they're wanting to reach out with me, all this kind of stuff. So I completely agree that quality of your product is also very important because we live in a day and age where you could open a dropshipping Shopify store mm-hmm. in less than like three hours, <laughs> literally. So, <yeah. laughs> and a lot of the time, too, like those types of, I guess you know, those DMs where you get like, "Hey, dear, we'll offer you," and it's just like a waste of your time. <laughs> yeah, I agree with everything Kaylee said about you know making sure that your product is great your story is great your your mission is great all of that because then people will be more inclined to work with you if you don't have a budget mm-hmm. now on the other hand in terms of budget let's talk about if you do have a budget whether that be a small budget a big budget xyz how do you work with brands to like kind of get influencers for paid campaigns like what do you look mm-hmm. for and things like that things that brands should be getting from influencers before they make their final decisions to be like here is money
1: <laughs> yeah exactly um, so there's a pretty like basic standard process that we go through when we're casting influencers so let's just like walk through that. Firstly, from a brand perspective, um, whether or not you're working with an agency, if you are working with an agency, some of these things might be transparent and some agencies just run the whole process and then just show you the results basically. Whereas other agencies like mine are more collaborative and we really like engage brands in every step of the way for approvals and that sort of thing. So the first thing that we do is come up with the concept for the campaign. So whether it's a new product launch or um, a specific like holiday sale or whatever it is, just coming up with the concept and the mood board, the key messaging, those types of things, really figuring out what you want this campaign to achieve and Some brands are not working on a campaign basis. They're working more like one offs or long term ambassadors, in which case they might not have like specific campaign messaging that they've created, but they really treat each individual relationship uh, kind of more custom, like you would with. Like your relationship with Izzy, Carly. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's kind of two approaches. I would say the campaign route is more common for brands. And once brands like see some success with campaigns, they typically then want to take like influencers in house and create more robust programs and do things more long term. Um, but just like speaking from a campaign perspective, so we create what we want this campaign to look like. What are the objectives? What's the reach we want? What are, our, you know, all of these quote unquote. Quote KPIs. And then we basically go out and find the influencers we want to work with. So if you're a brand that might be going through that Instagram process we talked about earlier and kind of making a list of people that you think would be a good fit. From an agency perspective, we put it out to our micro influencer network, which is around 700 now, I think, um, and basically let people kind of apply to be a part of campaigns. And then we also do handpicking and like searching externally and putting out to other talent agencies, um, describing what we're looking for. So generally brands will have a set of requirements, um, whether that's okay, we want to work with minimum 10,000 followers so that they have a swipe up. We want to make sure that their engagement rate is a minimum 3%, that they also have X, Y, and Z, that they're located in Canada. Like whatever you're looking for, creating those requirements, putting out those casting And then we basically have a list of people that are interested or that we think could be a good fit. From there, we are going to basically reach out and ask their rates or get a better idea of insights if we need those things, if we don't already have them. And then we're taking that to the brand. We're reviewing with the brand. We're kind of pitching on behalf of all of these influencers in the list and saying, this is why we think Carly would be a really great fit. She talks about this. Her audience is engaged on this. And basically going through that process with brands so that they have the final say on who they want to work with. And then we basically go out and put offers to to influencers. Um, So this is generally crafted from a brand's budget. So they'll say, okay, we have X. Number of dollars for a budget that we want to spend on influencers, and they mostly trust the agency to divide that budget however we see fit based on influencers' rates um, or industry standards or whatever those things are. From a brand perspective, you might be more limited to um, working with influencers' rates because you might not already have the knowledge of what you should be paying people. And so that's another approach, again, like getting influencers' rates and negotiating with them directly based on your budget. it's basically, you know, shipping out the product, confirming influencers, um, running through campaign briefs or sending them contracts, whatever that looks like, executing the campaign, and then reporting on all of the analytics uh, that are produced when influencers publish. So that's basically from start to finish. Incredible. So something that I want to also get your opinion
0: on is I think a lot of the time when you are a startup brand. Like I mentioned before, and you, you know, are like, I need to see the sales coming and I need to do X, Y, Z. And you know, if I don't sell, then, you know, all of these reasons. Something I wanted to talk about um, was brands who gift influencers or even, you know, pay influencers who are expecting a certain number of sales or, you know, expecting a certain percent of their audience to convert. Into sales. And I just wanted to talk about (laughs) the expectations around that and the fact
1: that a lot of that stuff like isn't true. Totally. (laughs) Yeah. So what I find so interesting about that mentality is like as a brand, you would likely not write into a contract with any PR or media or reporter. Like let's say you're talking to CTV, you're not going to write in a contract you know, we need to get X number of sales from this interview that's being published on TV. And if we don't, then, you know, we're never talking to you or working with you again. Like, it doesn't make sense. And influencers really are the new media, social media. And so we need to be viewing it and treating it the same we would from that like perspective of they're building brand awareness, they're helping drive traffic, they're making their audience more educated on your brand, on your products, um, on your messaging, all of these things. But they're not salespeople, right? And so mm-hmm. when a brand is gifting a product or even paying an influencer, um, you really shouldn't expect or ever have an influencer guarantee certain sales driven to your brand, especially on a one-time campaign, because influencers are simply introducing your brand and your product to their audience. And you need to think from a consumer perspective, there are so many other steps after becoming aware of a brand or a product that go into making a buying decision. So the influencer's job is to basically build brand awareness for you, to get more eyes on your product, to, you know, share with their audience, to have those impressions, to have that engagement. But once their audience sees your product and learns about your brand from that influencer, they're going to go to your Instagram page. They're going to go to your website. And once they're there, it's your job as a brand to convert them into customers. And so I think this is a big misconception that it's like, oh, well, an influencer didn't um, sell anything for us, but maybe their engagement is great. And maybe their audience like really loved the creative that they produced but when they got to your website it was hard to navigate or maybe they just weren't interested in the size range or you know couldn't find a color that they liked or you know there's a million reasons why somebody might not convert to a customer once they are aware of your brand and so really separating that in your sales funnel and becoming more aware of like the many steps that it takes for somebody to be a stranger To then become a customer. Absolutely. And so, something that they say is it takes eight
0: visions or eight like eyeballs onto a certain product or company before they even consider purchasing. Unless Mm -hmm. you, you know, unless you happen to be on the hunt for a new curling iron and then your favorite influencer posts about her dry bar cordless curling iron and you're like, oh my God, well, I already needed a new curling iron. And my favorite influencer loves this one. Okay, I'll buy it. Versus if you're like, my curling iron works fucking fine. Like, I don't need a new one. Maybe after, you know, the the studies say eight times, you're like, okay, maybe I need a new curling iron. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not, everybody isn't always poised to buy all the time. Especially in the 2020 environment.
1: Totally. And I think this is where the value of long-term relationships with influencers comes into play Mm -hmm. and creating really long-term programs. Because if you do an influencer campaign with, let's say, 10 influencers that all make one post, it will make a buzz But it's likely not going to convert um, because it's a one time thing. You know, people are scrolling social media so quickly these days, they may see and engage with a post, and then the next day they've completely forgotten about it. And so, this is where the value of these long term partnerships comes in. If you can build relationships with influencers, or if you have the budget to, you know, have them posting once a month to their audience, maybe by that fifth post, somebody who's been watching all of these content pieces and has loved that sweater that Carly wears all of the time. By the fifth time, she's like, okay, now I'm ready to buy. Like Now I am in a place financially, or now I need a new sweater, or whatever that person's reason is. But one time generally isn't enough to convert anybody from a stranger to a customer. So that's where those long-term partnerships really become valuable. I love that. So I would also like to, because you brought it up,
0: talk about long-term partnerships because Definitely, there are situations. This is something me and Kaylee actually are focusing on for the new year of securing more longer term partnerships because we understand exactly what we just said about how, you know, you can't just see something once and expect a product to sell out. There's definitely influencers whose audiences are always poised to buy, Mm -hmm. like... And normally a lot of the the time too, they have huge followings. So even like 1% of a million who buy, Mm -hmm. even like (laughs) 0.2% of a million who buy is a lot of sales versus somebody who you probably will traditionally work with if you're like a smaller brand or a startup brand and you don't have the probably like 10K plus to pay a million dollar or a million influencer for Mm -hmm. $1 post the the longer term type of situations i i think are are very useful and like i said there's something that we're focusing on because it it doesn't just take one so i'd love to know how you kind of build traditional or I guess not traditional, how you build consistent awareness campaigns for brands and that can be gifted, paid, a combination of both perhaps, any any kind of insights on that on longer term partnerships from a brand perspective.
1: Mhm. Yeah, so I think with smaller brands particularly, a lot of these relationships start out gifted. Um but something that I like to kind of make brands more aware of is that when you're gifting influencers, you're likely going to get a better response if you actually don't uh, require Specific deliverables. So, for example, if you're gifting like a new perfume, um, if you're requiring people to post in feed with this new per- perfume that you've sent them, a lot of people are probably going to say no because they're like, oh, that's, you know, that's a big piece of my of my account to post in feed for something that I'm not getting paid for. Like that's a significant commitment. Uh, versus if you know you say, well, you can post stories, you can post a reel, you can post however you want to post organically. That's going to make sense to you and your audience. More people are probably likely to, likely to say yes because it's a. A, lower commitment. And B, they then get the creativity on their end to kind of make the partnership what they want it to that's going to perform best for their audience. So I think brands are really hesitant to start relationships uh, without giving specific messaging or like without requiring specific things because they want to see that ROI. But If you're thinking long-term in terms of building relationships with influencers, I think one of the best things you can do is just like gift things without requiring specific deliverables because it's going to get influencers the chance to, you know, use your product, uh, love the product, become like loyal fans or customers before you're then requiring them to do specific things in a gifted or paid campaign. They're going to be more likely to say yes because they've already tried the product, they know they love it. Blah, blah, blah. I know. I completely agree on that.
0: Something that I wanted to say too is I feel like gifting a lot of the time, like you think you're just going to give them something and they're never going to post about it, which absolutely happens. Like there's definitely situations where influencers will get your product. Maybe they don't like it. Maybe they just don't have time. Like their reason is their reason, but they'll never post about it. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, that's fine. But also I'm thinking about all of the PR that I receive with no obligations. I, 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 tr- typically I think do like three to five stories of PR that I got and that's three to five stories that you know this brand didn't have to pay for I accepted Mm -hmm. the gifting I didn't have to do the story I just did it because I wanted to and I wanted to share and Mm -hmm. I think that that is best case scenario for...
1: It comes across as more authentic that way too. So if brands are starting relationships in that way, then you're able to A, see who genuinely loves the product and is willing to post about it. And then B, go back with a paid strategy for long-term relationships of those people that initially did post or did have positive feedback or that you are building a relationship with so starting in a very like informal way like that like a seated gifting campaign and always like you know anticipating that a small percentage are going to ghost or not post, even when you have set deliverables, even when people agree to things. When it's a gifted campaign, there's always a group of people that either ghost or don't post. Um, and so, if you're going into it with that understanding that it's going to help you weed out those people and help you find the best influencers to then like build those long-term relationships with, I think that's going to be the most successful strategy for you.
0: I absolutely agree on that and it obviously sucks like I said like it sucks when you're sending out this product that if someone bought it you would make money but you're literally at a loss sending out influencer product because you're not like they're not buying the product you're just giving it to them it can suck when people don't post but at the end of the day like Kaylee said it's just weeding out the people who genuinely like your brand that let's hope, you know, three, six, nine months from then you have a budget that you suddenly come into. Then you can leverage the relationship that you have with these influencers who genuinely love your stuff to make better content or more content and get in front of their probably larger audience that they've grown in the time to create a better I guess, brand influencer experience or campaign that's beneficial for both of you guys.
1: Totally. Incredible.
0: So my last thing I kind of want to chit chat about, I don't know if you have a lot of experience with this on your side currently, but I would love to know a little bit about brand growth Independent of influencers, I know this. This episode is literally about influencers, but mm-hmm. I'd like to know: Do you have any kind of insights on traditional marketing strategies like ads mm-hmm. or campaigns or anything? Do you do stuff like that now? Because I know you manage a bunch of other a projects. All the yeah, time. literally like <laughs> a billion things.
1: So I'd love to get some insight on that. Yeah, um, I mean. Shout out to Nikki because I feel like if I was starting a consumer brand right now, I would hire someone like her to run my Facebook ad strategy. Because I think a lot of brands, you know, test the waters with things like Facebook ads and influencer marketing and they don't go fully into it because they spend, let's say, a couple hundred dollars and they don't see the result that they want, or they send out a few gifted products and they don't see the result that they want, and so they give up on it. And so, what I Would say is like working with experts in the space, um, either on a consulting basis so that you can learn from them and understand how to implement their strategies, or in like a full fledged, like I'm going to hire this person to run that for my brand, is probably like what I would do in order to be growing because there's so many things I don't know. And I know when you're a startup founder, you are basically trying to teach yourself everything because you are the only person doing everything. And so as much knowledge as I could get on all of those pieces, because things like Facebook ad strategies, like, again, this was five years ago, so might be outdated now, but I think like our Maybe third highest source of revenue is from uh, like retargeting ads. So, people who had come to the website and you know added something to their cart and then left like they just kind of didn't end up purchasing or whatever. Retargeting those people with traditional like Facebook ads or UCG ads um, is a great way to end up converting them because you're staying top of mind, things like that. And then traditional PR, like trying to. To get placements in digital magazines media refinery 29 bustle whatever um, my last company we were really fortunate to get a home run with PR uh, kind of in I think the first year of business and it's pretty insane like the traffic that these sites can drive like you know hundreds of thousands of people in a day like thousands of orders in a day from an article so trying to build relationships with journalists with reporters with writers not just with influencers um, and really trying to tell your story in a way that is going to be media-friendly can end up paying you in the long run. Um, But again, it's, it's a bit of luck and timing and finding the right person who wants to write a story about something related to what you're doing. And if they're looking for a story and you have that story, you know, like... So many of these things are like the right time, right place, but if you are setting yourself up and in a position um, to be that right time, right place, then the results can be really impactful. I love that you mentioned traditional PR because this is something I talk to you about
0: all of the time. <laughs> so I would love for you to dive into that really quickly. Um, I know there's, like you said, a bajillion projects that you're working on. I wonder, have you had to like secure traditional PR for any of these or have been on like... The calls or the emails or anything. Um, I would love to know some of your tips on
1: mm-hmm. how to
0: amass traditional PR. And by traditional PR, we mean like you know print, news, TV, like not influencer stuff.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Um, so my tips again, I think like having a really great story is super important, or a great perspective on. Uh, something. So if it's a new product, like is your product so innovative that it's like changing the life of people that are going to buy it? Like, are you revolutionizing an industry? Okay. If you're not like, what's your angle? What's your story? So are you a black female founder who, uh, is, you know, 24 years old and is now like making X figures from your business and from your hustle? Like that's more interesting story, right? Like, because that's, (laughs) That's not something that everybody is doing. So basically, like finding your angle like, wait, what makes you as a business person or your brand really interesting? And then finding the right outlets who align with that story and the right, um, writers and reporters and editors who already write about those things and also like following them on socials. Like when I got featured in Huffington post last year, mm-hmm. uh, for, you know, basically talking about influencer marketing, it was because the writer for that piece and I have become like friends on Instagram and I've followed each other and shared tips with each other in the past. And she's also a writer for a few different Outlets. So that was again um, an example of building relationships. And I never pitched her on anything. Like I didn't only build that relationship for her contacts. It was because I genuinely was like interested in her content, in learning from her. So if you're interested in traditional PR, like getting placements somewhere, finding those contacts, following them on socials, whether it's Twitter. I know Twitter is really great for PR. I don't use Twitter, but Instagram too can be useful. Um, Engaging with their content. same way that you would, you know, try to pitch an influencer or a brand that you can also pitch media outlets. And I think one that's, uh, kind of, under not not talked about like overlooked sorry um is like local outlets (laughs) like it's a little bit less glamorous but if you are somebody who lives in a small city and you're doing something cool like you started a new business or you've gotten an international placement or you won an award or like anything like that like reaching out to local news outlets or like blogs or that sort of thing for coverage can also be an option I love that and then also
0: if you guys are interested more kind of PR tips tricks like all of that our our friend Austin of Mm -hmm. Keep and Chiffon she literally posts about this all
1: the time like she is PR queen (laughs) she always has the tips and tricks She's the one that wrote the Huffington Post article and she does like so many uh, articles and blog posts and YouTube videos for, you know, people who are pitching or pitching press or pitching editors or pitching brands, like whatever. So she's definitely a great resource.
0: She's awesome. She literally like sent me a
1: message and was like, hey, this
0: person is looking for like information on XYZ. You'd be great. And then I had a real interview with them. I was like, okay, Austin, go off. We love that.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I think people forget to look to their network sometimes. Like it's really easy to think, like, oh, like I want this big influencer. Oh, I want this. And it's like, hmm, do you actually know somebody in your network who maybe knows somebody else who writes for a blog or writes for this? Like, who's already in your network or who's like two degrees of separation away that you can become closer with that is going to help you in the long run?
0: Absolutely. I agree. Absolutely. So before we close off the episode, Kaylee, I would love it if you could
1: tell everybody where they could find you and all of the fun projects that you're doing and everything else. Yeah. So you can find me at Kaylee.e.r on Instagram uh, at Hermana Agency. I get, wait, is it Hermana.agency on Instagram? (laughs) Hermana.agency. I don't even know my own (laughs) socials. I have so many. Um, It's actually Kaylee on TikTok at Self Care Sunday, which is my podcast. You can find it on like Apple, Spotify, everywhere you listen to podcasts. And a big project I'm working on right now is Happy Hazel, which is a new YouTube show produced by... By Radiant Studios. It's a show that shows basically like the behind-the-scenes kind of of life as a famous influencer, the ups and downs that it can take on your mental health, and uh, they just do a really good job of showing all of that in these like short little weekly episodes. So go check it out on YouTube. Incredible. Well, thank you so much
0: for sitting down and recording with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for sharing all of your knowledge. I think everybody probably took away a lot of information and insights from this episode. And I'm so happy that you popped on.
1: Thanks girl. Have a, I was going to say have a great self-care Sunday. It's not self-care Sunday. I'm used to my own podcasting (laughs) tomorrow,
0: but thank you so much. Enjoy your glass of champagne. Yeah. Thanks. Incredible. Okay. Thanks Kaylee. Bye. Bye. That is it for today's episode. I really hope you guys enjoyed it. If you did, make sure to screenshot this episode and share it over on Instagram and tag me at hey Bitches Podcast. I would absolutely love to chat shit with you guys about today's episode in the DMs. Before you go, make sure to subscribe to Hey Bitches wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you are an Apple Podcast listener, make sure to give the show a five-star rating and review. It really does help me out and I would really appreciate it. I love you guys so much. I hope you guys have an incredible day. And for now, bye-bye, bitch.